Welcome to episode number 274. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you the steps that I take for myself and my family to help our immune systems be running at their absolute best, especially as we head into fall and winter, which is commonly known as cold and flu season. But first, let me welcome you to the podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born 100 years too late. If you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends, And if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron and those things were used daily with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, number 273, then you know that I shared my best secrets for when to harvest your herbs, the best ways to preserve them, and especially the best practices for storing those herbs so they are at their strongest medicinal properties for when you need to use them. And I also shared about the live free class I was doing on using herbs medicinally. Now that class is over, but you can still join my fall herbal challenge, which is part of the membership to the Pioneering Today Academy. So you can join the academy right now. We are open for new members and everybody who is a member will be able to go through our cold and flu herbal challenge this fall where I will be walking you step by step through all of my favorite herbal remedies and recipes so that you are armed with an herbal and natural remedy arsenal of projects to treat yourself and your family. So we'll actually be going through week by week and having ready and actually making all of these items together. We'll have various teas and tinctures and different things like that so that you have something at your fingertips to help treat common cold and flu symptoms as well as boost your immune system. So we'll be going over my favorite recipes, the best herbs, when you should use them and when you shouldn't, as well as safety and contraindications and how they actually work to either boost the immune system or help fight against viruses. So that is all part of your membership to the Pioneering Today Academy. We're open for new members right now, but we will be closing the doors for new members because we will be focusing on everybody who came in and is joining us for the cold and flu fall herbal challenge. There'll be prizes to win. It's going to be fabulous. You'll get your master supply list and you'll also have links to kits if you don't happen to have those herbs on hand where you can easily grab those in a kit to make everything that you need. So go and check out the academy and look at joining. 
melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA, melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA for all of the information on joining the Academy and also part of our fall herbal challenge. But back to this podcast episode and talking about boosting your immune system. As we, anytime that you were to get sick or to get an ailment, but especially as we move into the fall and winter season, when we see a spike in viruses and cold and flu, more people are indoors, um, the more time we're outdoors and we have those higher temperatures and the sunlight will kill viruses or make them not live as long on surfaces. So that's why we usually see a dip of those types of things in the summer months and people are outside and moving more. So we're going to be talking about things that you can do or I do, I should say, to boost your immune system. And I do need to tell you that I am not a medical professional in any way, shape or form. So this is just the practices that I'm using. Um, I'm not diagnosing or treating you. So just need to get that part out of the way. But some of the things, of course, is oftentimes we want to begin treating ourselves or we really pay attention to things once we are sick, because then it's like immediate. We want relief from it. And that's that's just the way that we like. Most of us are creatures of comfort and habit, and we don't make changes until forced to in a lot of instances. But getting your immune system in shape is honestly the best thing that you can do. And it all happens before you get sick. And even if you have an amazing immune system, of course, that doesn't mean that you're never going to come down with something that you're never going to get ill or anything like that. But it does mean that when you do come down with something, because we all will eventually, that the duration of it, the severity of it will all usually be lessened if you already have a really healthy body and good functioning immune system. So some of the things that we need to look at to boost our immune systems or to keep it running on all functions, of course, and I know that probably this will not be most of the stuff that I share with you is not going to be new to most of you. A lot of this is, I guess, I don't want to say common sense, but common knowledge. Like a lot of us know this stuff. It just doesn't we're not always putting it into practice. But I think that this is a great time and incentive with everything that's went on in this pandemic year to help us keep our bodies functioning as much as possible. And it's going to first thing I'm going to talk about. I know nobody wants to talk about this, but it's your food. And the reason I'm so passionate about talking about your food is because I have seen firsthand. I've shared this with you guys many times, but food is what healed me when Modern medicine wasn't. I was taking max dose of prescription medications up to six times a day. There was nothing left. And I was still having breakthrough acid production. I had erosion to my esophagus, erosion to my upper stomach, and cellular change. And I was on a path that was most likely leading to having either stomach or esophageal cancer. And do you know how it was healed? By changing the food that I ate. Yes, just the food that we eat and that we put into our bodies has that much of effect on our health. And so I would have never believed it beforehand if I hadn't lived it and went through that. But after have seen the change, and not just for myself, I definitely saw a change for myself. I have never had to go back on those medications. I don't suffer from that anymore. 
but there have been numerous members in the Pioneering Today Academy, or not even in the Academy, just listeners of this podcast, just like you, people who have come across my website or read my books. And even though I'm not actually sharing, I'm sharing about this lifestyle and how to grow and how to cook from scratch and how to kick those process things out of your life. Many of them have found either healing or a huge decrease in symptoms from things that they have battled with for a very long time. So I definitely believe in the healing power of food, which is why I am starting there. And most of us know that, (laughs) I mean, come on, sugar tastes good, but sugar really doesn't do a whole lot for our bodies. So consuming large amounts of white sugar and candy and sweets and all of those things I know they taste good and I'm not telling you that you can't ever have them because I do still eat sugar, but I don't eat it in near the amounts that I used to and I don't buy regular white table sugar. I don't consume high fructose corn syrup, which is in a ton of things. And if you listen to the episode series where I shared how I healed my stomach acid naturally by food, you'll hear that those were some of the first things that I absolutely cut out. So take a look at what you're eating. I know it can be easy to grab some of those convenience things or even bake up a lot of that comfort food because we do like to self-soothe with food. I am one of them. I love a good comfort meal or a good comfort dish. Don't get me wrong, but take a look at that. See if maybe that's something that you've been maybe comforting in a little bit too much lately. We need to be fueling our bodies with things that have nourishment that actually fuels us, right? So I know this is going to sound like a diet show in a way, but not a bunch of empty calories. Like what are the vitamins that are going in? Is it things that has antioxidants in it? Like for example, blueberries, is it things that have flavonoids in it? You know, a lot of those things that we get from eating unprocessed fruits and vegetables, are you consuming a good amount of them? Now, up next, we need to talk about stress levels, right? And we can't avoid stress. I wish that there was a way that we could avoid stress, but no matter what, we're always going to have stress in our lives or something is going to come up that's going to cause us stress. But we definitely need to have a management plan in place or ways to help us manage that stress because too much stress raises our cortisol levels and it can play very nasty things on our bodies. It can affect our sleep, which in and then in turn affects our immune system not functioning well. We need to be getting a good night's rest. Those high cortisol levels always leaving you in that state of kind of panic and low anxiety. That is really hard on your body. That's really hard on your immune system. So ways that we can de-stress. Of course, trying to limit, I have to, to on things on social media that cause you stress. I will say that there have been certain people who I love in real life, but online and in social media, they, every time I see something that they post, it just brings up some type of negative thing. And so I unfollow them. So there may be accounts, maybe it's people you know, maybe it's people you don't, but you've followed for various reasons, but pay attention to the way it makes you feel. And of course you can go extreme and cut off all social media, but I have obviously I'm on social media. I have an online business. I share homesteading and I've had a lot of good things happen in my life from social media, but you have to manage it. So I have been pretty drastic in unfollowing any accounts 
that bring negative emotions or negative feelings for whatever reason into my life. If I feel like that after seeing them come through my feed or reading it and it's a repetitive thing, then I unfollow them so that I don't see it. We've got to be proactive on that. Of course, limiting some of our social media and screen time can help the blue light from electronics. Now on your phone, most phones, if you're using a smartphone, you can um, turn off, you have filters, so you can turn off that blue light. I actually have a pair of glasses because I do work on a computer. I'm recording this podcast episode right now and I'm recording it on a computer and I do a lot of computer work. And so I have a pair of blue light blocking glasses that I put on in the afternoon and the evening, even if we're just watching television or whatnot, that helps to block out that blue light because that blue light, when we get too much of that blue light, it actually causes eye fatigue, which can cause headache. Um, Then in turn, if we're in pain, that raises our stress levels, right? It can really affect your sleep. So that blue light, we need to block that blue light, especially as we get closer to bedtime so that our bodies can naturally release melatonin, which signals us to start to to go down for the night and to make sure that our circadian rhythms are in the correct rhythm and that we can sleep well. And so I have to work on the computer. I can't just not work on the computer with the everything that I do in the academy and all of that stuff. So I use those blue light blocking glasses. And then I also have always turned on my phone that filter that keeps the blue light down. Um, I will link in today's show notes, which you can grab at mosquinoris.com forward slash 274, because this is episode number 274 to the blue light glasses that I use. And like I said, I, I turn those, put them on, excuse me, I don't turn them on. They don't turn on, there's glasses. And I wear regular glasses. I wore glasses um, ever since I was in high school, actually. I have a fairly severe astigmatism and contacts drive me batty. So I wear regular eyeglasses and these blue light blocking glasses, they just go right over my regular glasses and I don't have an issue. But they've made a pretty big difference um, and also in my sleep. As I said, sleep is definitely important to our immune system. And if you're having trouble falling asleep or you're kind of feel like you're getting stress headaches or your eyes are really tired, et cetera, at the end of the day, it may be all of the blue light that we are exposed to now that we do have so many electronics. So putting that out there, that's one of the things that I started it was about a year ago, actually, that I started using those blue light glasses and have really liked them. Now, the other thing that I'm going to talk about is exercise. Exercise, right? Moving our body, that gets things moving through our system. We need movement can help with your digestion. Movement can also help to raise your serotonin levels and different levels in our brains. And so getting in on a regular basis some type of exercise and movement is going I have found myself not only does it boost my energy levels which kind of seems counterintuitive right you're like well you're working out but and you think well I am tired but in a different way when I get done with a workout right like you out of breath you want to get that heart rate level up and breathlessness but I have found that my have more energy on the days that I do work out, I have more energy throughout the day and I also sleep better at night. And we actually have a sleep number bed. We've had it for, goodness, going on almost two years. So I actually can track what my resting heart rate is, how much I move during the night, the restlessness, how many hours of sleep I get and how many hours is actually that deep sleep. So I actually have data that I can look at and I can definitely see a correlation 
when I work out on the days that I work out, I have a lower resting heart rate, which is really good. I have less breaths per minute, or I should say my breaths per minute go down. So I'm in that deeper sleep mode and I'm in that deeper sleep for longer, which is really, really good um, because you can be in bed for hours. But if you're not in that deep sleep, or you never really hit your, your deep sleep level, then you're not going to wake up and feel very rested. And so I definitely can see a difference in my sleep and my energy levels when I work out. Now, of course, you can take anything to excess. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you to go work out for like two or three hours straight, but definitely doing so on a consistent basis. And many of you have asked about my workout program and how I work out and what I do. And I am going to record that and do some videos for you. I don't have that out yet. So if you have heard me mention that in the past and you're looking for it, that is not out yet, but I will be sharing about that. And that one has been, it's going to have to be, it's, it probably will be a series, honestly. And it is long because it's been a very interesting journey and it's changed as my body has healed from the stomach acid and the ulcers. And then I was diagnosed with low thyroid and was on thyroid medication, which I just got of a, got off of a couple months ago. But um, I had very stressed adrenal glands. My thyroid obviously was stressed because it was not functioning properly and I was on medication. So my exercise program has definitely evolved and changed based upon where other things in my health were. And so to really go through that, I feel like I need to whack you through the whole journey and how it's evolved and changed to where it is today. So that will be a series and that will be coming up, but I don't have time to dive into that entire thing in this episode. But aiming to get some, even if it's just a goal of I'm going to go out and walk at a brisk pace, if you're not already exercising at all, you know, say, make it a goal and say, I'm going to do this five days a week and I'm going to do it for 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be where you're going and doing like a full hour if you're not doing anything yet. But if you're already doing some exercise, then maybe you'll add another day in. Maybe you're only, you know, doing it like three days a week. My goal is to make sure that I'm moving my body. And of course, I move my body when we're going out and, you know, I'm feeding the chickens every day. Uh, we're feeding the livestock and watering the livestock every day. And so that is movement, but it's not the same as having a dedicated time where I'm doing a full, you know, 20 minutes or half hour or working up to an hour, et cetera, whatever it might be. And so I try to have that dedicated time and I do five to six days a week. I don't do Sundays, um, but usually five to six days a week. I'm actually I'm doing some type of workout, dedicated exercise, body movement time. So definitely I have seen a big, big impact on my sleep, especially since I started doing that, but also my stress levels, because I can tell if there is a day where I'm like, oh, you know, things just happen occasionally and I don't get that day in. And I can definitely tell that I carry more tension and I have more stress. Exercise is definitely a stress reliever for me. So it, it probably will be for you as well. So I feel like those are the basics that we have to talk about. Of course, getting you know a good night's sleep. Like I said, exercise helps with that. Having a routine where you're blocking off that blue light and shutting down electronics early and enough in the evening, um, ideally at least an hour before bedtime. But those blue light glasses I put on earlier to block it even earlier. Having those set routines so that your brain is signaled every day. It follows this routine like a bedtime routine. So it knows, okay, I'm supposed to be getting ready for sleep and going down to sleep, etc. Those all can be really helpful and beneficial. So aiming to get seven to eight 
hours of sleep every night and rest is going to be key. Well-rested means a better functioning immune system. But there's other things on top of that because I know, I feel like we had to cover those bases first, but there's still other things you can do. Now, especially as we're moving into fall and winter, which means less daylight hours. And if you live in the Pacific Northwest or a more Northern area further away from the equator, like I do, that means not everybody starts to get decreased, right? Hours of sunlight, but we get lesser sunlight. And I swear it feels like we can go all winter and not have any sunlight in the Pacific Northwest, which means your vitamin D levels can go really far down. And vitamin D is definitely one of those energy. Um, A lot of times if you have low vitamin D, you feel like you have low energy. And it's also linked to your immune system, our whole body, right? We need all these certain levels. And so vitamin D can help keep our immune system healthy. Now, vitamin D is one of the fat soluble vitamins. So that means that if you get too much, it's stored in your fat. So your fat soluble vitamins are vitamins A, D, E, and K. Whereas like vitamins B and vitamin C, if you get too much of them, you will flush them out in your urine. Not the case with the fat soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, and K. So you don't want to just go taking copious amounts of these because you're like, oh, well, if a, you know, a little is good, then a lot more is going to be better. Not necessarily. So definitely look at the average guidelines for taking it. Some people choose to take it once a week. Some people will take it every other cup, every few days, and those dosages will change. But definitely look at a vitamin D level. You can have blood work done to see where your level is. Most people who live in northern climates, especially in the winter months, are low on vitamin D. And so I take a vitamin D supplement in the fall and the winter months. I don't in the summer because I'm outside enough in the summer. I feel like I'm getting probably very sufficient levels. But as that we start to move into fall and winter, I definitely take my vitamin D supplement. Now, there have been lots of studies done on the immune system and a good portion of your immune system actually resides in your gut. I believe it's 80%. So what that means is the better functioning gut health that we have, the better functioning immune system that we have. And as I said, cutting out a lot of refined sugar and refined processed products like that is going to help your gut flora and your microbiome. We want a lot of diversity of good bacteria in our gut flora. So it used to be that we did not eat, obviously, the processed foods that we have today because they simply weren't available or around. Most people were eating a very, what we would consider nowadays, a very whole foods diet because that simply was all there was. So that means also, and forms of food preservation included fermenting. We didn't have refrigeration way back in the day, or not like we do now, right? And so to help milk last longer, it was fermented into kefir or kefir, into yogurt, into cultured buttermilk, cultured sour cream, etc. A lot of the vegetables like our cucumbers and our cabbage and kimchi, depending on you know where you were uh, culturally and around the world, there was a lot of the use of ferments. It helped keep the food longer without refrigeration. And as a culture in modern society today, we're starting to trend a little bit back more that way. I think more people now know about kombucha and kefir, kefir, however you wish to say that one, and fermented foods. Like a lot of that is kind of coming back on trend, for lack of a better term, which is a really good thing because we need that diversity 
in our stomachs. So I like to try to consume, this can be a really great goal. I like to try to consume one type of fermented food daily because consuming it daily is going to help feed that gut flora, right? Rather than just doing something, say, once a week, because it's the things that we do on a consistent basis that have the biggest impact on our health. So it's the same with eating healthy consistently, working out consistently. If you work out once a week versus working out five times a week, well, you're going to see a lot bigger difference if you do it five times a week versus one time a week. Same thing with the foods that we eat. So I don't every day have the same fermented foods. I do have a lot of curtido, especially this time of year, because it's my abs- one of our absolute favorite ferments, which is a Spanish sauerkraut. If you're in the academy, then you know in the fermenting section, that's what is obviously one of my favorites. Maybe it's having yogurt one day, and then the next day it's having some kombucha, or and then the next day it's having a little bit of sauerkraut or curtido or kimchi with your eggs or on a salad or in a sandwich or however it is. But if you can get an small amount in on a daily basis, that's going to be much better for you than, like I said, just doing it once a week. So that's an easy goal is to make is to say, I'm going to have something fermented and it can be a small amount. It might just be a quarter cup of yogurt, right? Or just a couple of bites or some on top of a salad or a sandwich, that type of thing. It doesn't have to be like an entire meal of fermented foods. In fact, if you're brand new to fermented foods, You probably want to start out just doing small amounts until your gut flora gets established, because if you eat too much, you may feel a little bit of gas and discomfort as things are getting established and you're getting new balances. So starting out smaller is better. But I try to consume on a daily basis some type of fermented food. The other thing that I get in my daily diet is collagen. Collagen is great, of course, for our skin and for joints and for bones, but it's also really good for our gut health. So there's, of course, bone broth. Most of us are very familiar with bone broth, so that can be easy to get in. In fact, in the afternoons, especially once it hits that colder weather and I want something hot to sip on because it's cooler, not so much in the summertime, I will just drink in the afternoon instead of a cup of tea I will drink a cup of bone broth or I'll use bone broth if I'm cooking like quinoa or rice or something like that for dinner. I will use bone broth in place of water in a lot of recipes. That's going to add in that collagen. Also adds in a little bit of extra protein and definitely some flavor. That's one way I'll get it in. But I also do use collagen in my morning coffee. So I'm getting collagen at least once a day, if not twice a day, every single day on a consistent basis. And I feel like that's really helped my stomach, especially I can tell if I've not been eating as well as I should, because if I go too long eating things that I know I shouldn't and I'm not paying very good attention, I'm not being consistent with my diet. The first place that lets me know is my stomach. So my stomach will start feeling off and it will start to hurt a little bit. And I recognize those signs as like the precursor to actually having the stomach acid because I'm so in tune from going through all of that. So as soon as I feel those signs, then I know I'm like, okay, my diet's not on point. I need to pay attention to what I'm eating. And then I will start drinking bone broth again if I haven't been, but I always have collagen every single morning in my coffee. So I will link in today's show notes. Like I told you the blog post, you can grab it, mostcanorous.com forward slash 274 to 
the brands of collagen that I use and I just add it straight. It's a powder and I add it straight to my morning coffee every single morning and it just dissolves in. Sometimes I'll get a chocolate flavored one and then other times um, if I don't want chocolate, then I just have a plain one and you can mix that into anything and you don't taste it. Now, this next step kind of goes along with your food and your diet and consuming things that are good for you. But this is another one that I'm sure is going to be a touchy subject, but that is alcohol. If you are looking to keep your immune system in rip roaring shape, then you're going to want to reduce or eliminate your consumption of alcohol, especially on a consistent basis. Remember, it's that consistent thing. The things that we're consuming consistently have the biggest impact on our health. And there are studies that show that consistent consumption of alcohol can lower the immune system and is hard on your body. So if you're looking to keep your immune system up and running in tip top condition, then you're going to want to limit your consumption of alcohol. And I know some people are like, I am not giving up my daily or nightly glass of wine, or I'm not giving up having a beer or whatever. And that's totally for you to decide. I'm not telling you, you have to give up anything or you have to do any of this. But we need to be aware of what it is we're consuming, how it affects our body. And then we make the determination on if we care enough or if it's important enough for us to, to continue doing that behavior or to stop it. So I'm going to totally leave that one up to you. And because I know people have very, very strong opinions on alcohol. And I understand that, completely understand that. And we'll just leave that one right there. I just don't want to dive too much into that one here on this episode. But just to know, to let you know, you might want to Google and and do some studies on that one if you want to see further research and information on the effects of alcohol on the immune system to decide if it's something that you want to have in your consistent beverage practice. Now, of course, there are things above and beyond what we've been talking about today, but those are all a very good base for keeping your immune system strong. And that is there are herbs that can help boost our immune system. And one of the most commonly known ones is going to be elderberry. So elderberry has immune boosting properties as well as antiviral properties. But today and inside the academy and as part of our herbal challenge, I go very deep into elderberry and how it works on certain viruses, how it works on the immune system, what you need to know about safety, etc. And I do have up on the website my elderberry syrup recipe, which you can get and I will definitely share that with you. You can check the show notes. But elderberry is a great immune boosting herb to use. So a lot of people like to use elderberry when they aren't having any type of symptoms or illness symptoms. And if they know they're going to be in a high exposure area or moving into that time of year where you have a higher exposure time to viruses, etc., they'll use it as on a daily basis or as like a proactive thing to help keep the immune system healthy. Personally, I only use it if I know I'm going to be in an area where I'm likely going to be exposed to something. I'm going to be traveling in October for the Homesteaders of America's conference, even though that is virtual this year. So you can grab your virtual ticket, which is awesome. It's never been virtual before. So no matter where you're at, you're going to be able to watch the entire conference. It'll all be online. 
I'm actually traveling to the location. So I will be there with the whole Homesteaders of America's conference staff and board and doing my presentation live from there. So I'm super excited about that. Um, you can go to melissacanoris.com forward slash HOA and look at grabbing your tickets. I That is an affiliate link. So if you end up buying your ticket, I do get a small commission off of that. And I thank you very much for your support. I'm super excited to be a part of their conference this year because I firmly believe in their mission. And that is to help more people, no matter where you're at, no matter what level you're at, to increase your self-sufficiency and your homesteading skills. But I know I'm going to be traveling, right? I'm going to be on an airplane. I'm going to be away from home. And so therefore, I will be taking my elderberry syrup the days prior, about three days prior to when I start to travel. I'll start taking my elderberry syrup. I'll be taking it while I'm traveling. And then I'll also be taking it after I come home for about a week. Now, that's my personal protocol um, on how I'll be doing it to help keep my immune system up. And if I do come in contact with any type of virus to help my body, not only will my immune system be revving along, but elderberry also has antiviral properties as well. Now, that being said, no herb is without risk, but neither is anything that you take over the counter, like a Tylenol, Tylenol, acetaminophen, all of it has risk. And we look at it and look at the risk and the benefits, right? And we weigh those and decide whether or not we're going to consume it. So with elderberry, I know a lot of people were worried about cytokine storms, especially in relation to the new COVID-19 coronavirus and elderberry. But all of the studies, and I've taken classes from naturopaths and NDs and the American Botanical Council on this, none of the studies are showing that elderberry will produce a cytokine storm because elderberry, when it helps with the cytokine production, is at the beginning stages of a virus and the cytokine storms happen at the end. So it's at the different timing of where the virus is at. That being said, we have so little studies on actual coronavirus COVID-19, the current virus that we're all talking and thinking about, right? Right. So can't say that it is without any risk, but I personally feel very comfortable and confident with using it. But with elderberry, if you have any type of autoimmune disorder, because it does boost that immune system, um, it's generally regarded to use elderberry with caution, especially prolonged or high doses if you are suffering from any type of autoimmune disease. So just uh, put all that out there. And I'm not an herbalist, I'm not a certified herbalist or anything like that. So this is all personal anecdote and research that I am sharing with you, not diagnosing. Now, if you are in the Pioneering Today Academy or you are joining so that you will be a part of our Herbal Fall Challenge, I will go fully in depth on all of the herbs that we are using and letting you know at what points they are best used. So some things are best used at the beginning stages of a virus. So for example, echinacea. Echinacea is really great and has been used for a long time, but it is at when you first begin to feel symptoms. And the reason for that is because echinacea actually works and it helps 
the virus, it stops it from getting into the cells and replicating. So that's why it needs to be used at the very beginning. And then it can help shorten the duration, right, of symptoms and not as severe because it's actually stopped the virus from getting into all of the cells and replicating, which then, of course, is what makes us sick. But if you take echinacea after you are feeling full, like you're totally sick, you know what I mean? Like you always feel it coming on in the beginning and then boom, like when it fully hits then you're and you're really sick, using echinacea then it's already in the systems, it's already in the cells and it's already replicated. So using echinacea at that point really isn't the best choice of antiviral herbs and immune bursting herbs to be using because it's past the point when it's really beneficial. So that's some of the things that I will be going over as we dive into this herbal challenge inside the academy. And if you are more curious, plus also telling you when you should or should not be using based upon medical conditions or medications that you're on or certain side effects like things you should be aware of. We'll be going over all of that with each herb that we will be using in the fall herbal challenge. So I hope to see you in there. Again, you can get more information on that and join at mostcanoris.com forward slash PTA. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to this and then send me a message and screenshot of that and you will go in a drawing. We'll announce the winner in the first part of October. You'll go in a drawing to win a copy of any of my books my current three books and including my brand new family garden planner that is releasing this November. So until next week, blessings and mason jars. Mm-hmm.